says, Then he came to Derb in Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and so she persuaded us. And Father, we humbly ask for the, the help of your Holy Spirit now as we open the word of God to continue in our worship, just asking that by the power of your spirit, you would prepare us and that your spirit would speak to us that which you'd have us hear from this portion of your word. Lord, bless the scripture and, and bless your word as it goes forth. We ask in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now, how important is it to you to stay in step with the Lord's leading in your personal life? The Bible tells us that the steps of a good man, that is a man or a woman living in step with the Lord, seeking to stay in step with the Lord, that the steps of a good man, the Bible says, are ordered by the Lord. That is, when the Lord directs our steps by perhaps putting desires from him within us to do certain things or to take certain steps, it's truly amazing to see how the Lord can order our steps in such a way that he not only accomplishes maybe one thing, but oftentimes he accomplishes many other good things in the process of those events as well. And that's really what we see happening in this section here now and going forward in the book of Acts from Paul's desire to help and serve in one way 
Ultimately, the Lord directs his steps in such a way that it accomplishes far greater things than Paul was even envisioning were going to take place. You remember the background of our section here. Paul, together with his new ministry partner, Silas, has just been sent out from the church there in Antioch to begin what would be the second missionary journey of Paul the Apostle. We're told that Paul had this desire to go back through the area and the cities where they had preached the gospel and planted churches during his first missionary trip that we looked at. And he wanted to go back through those areas to return to strengthen the churches and the believers. Paul said that he wanted to go back and see how the new believers were doing in those regions, how the churches were faring, and to go back and just strengthen them and do some follow-up ministry. In fact, the last verse we read in chapter 15 as he left, it said he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches and being led of the spirit now to go back out on this second missionary trip paul not only goes back and strengthens the existing work of god but he's also led to actually expand the work of god as new churches will be planted and the gospel will reach even other areas so as paul goes through syria through cilicia strengthening the churches acts chapter 16 verse 1 says then he came to Derb and to Lystra. So he returns back to two cities we've already seen in our prior chapters where he shared the word of the Lord, where God's power was at work, lives were transformed, some miracles happened, churches were planted. And you have to understand it's been about, at this point, about five years since Paul has been to these locations. And he now goes back to these areas and begins some more ministry there and we'll see he gets to actually kind of reap now some of the fruit from his prior labors in earlier years in the things of the gospel it tells us in verse one that as he gets back to this area of Derb and Lystra that behold a certain disciple was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed But his father was a Greek, and it says that Timothy, verse 2, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So arriving back at Lystra, the Lord now brings this godly young man into the path of the Apostle Paul. And, And Paul meets this man, Timothy, and of course we know Timothy becomes ultimately really Paul's protege. The one who Paul kind of takes under his wing, Paul mentors him in the things of God, but more than that, mentors him for ministry. And this young man, Timothy, becomes this critical life partner to Paul the Apostle as Paul and Timothy now get a chance to meet one another here. And ultimately, Timothy will be the one that Paul will train Paul will actually entrust a lot of ministry to him in the future. He'll send Timothy to different locations on his behalf to go and minister to Christians in different churches. And Paul ends up partnering with him and entrusting a lot of his work. And ultimately, it seems almost kind of turning his ministry over to him in the latter years of his life. We're going to see in the next verse there where it says, after meeting him, Paul wants to bring him along as a partner. Now, Question here, what led up to, as we look at these verses here, this process of these two individuals meeting in what was clearly a divine appointment that God would cause these two men's lives to intersect? Well, one thing we take notice of, one thing that led up to this process, you could say was spiritual preparation. 
spiritual preparation. You notice there it tells us in verse 1 regarding Timothy. You see it in the text there. It says that Timothy was a disciple. It refers to him as a certain disciple named Timothy was there. And we've talked about before how a disciple is a term that speaks of a committed follower of a master. One who actually doesn't just want to hear what his master says, but one who is actually dedicated to learning the ways of his master and then living out the ways of his master because of his commitment to the one who was the master in his life. And Timothy, that clearly describes as a disciple of the Lord, was a young man who already at this point in his life had a strong relationship with the Lord. He was a disciple. He was a committed follower. He was someone who had already at this young stage of his life grown to a place in his spiritual life where he was very committed to Jesus. He didn't just believe what he heard about Jesus. He actually wanted to understand how to faithfully live for Jesus and follow him as Lord, how to use his life to serve the Lord. He had a hunger as a young man to want to serve and live for Jesus. And I look at Timothy here in our text and I think what a beautiful picture of a young man in the church. We see this young man, Timothy, and he's not someone who just has spiritual knowledge about the Lord because maybe he has a godly mother, as we'll talk about, who's trying to raise him in the ways of the Lord and maybe she brings him along to synagogue. He's not somebody who, well, yeah, he goes and sits in the church services because that's what I have to do because this is what my parents do. Instead, we see quite the opposite. Instead of him being a young man who just has some spiritual knowledge about the Lord, but at the same time, is kind of just wasting his youthful years trying to be as carnal as he can like all his worldly friends or trying to just be callous spiritually but cooperate with his parents because that's what they do, go to church and tell me things about God. And rather than squandering his early years and his youthful energy and strength, rather, here's a young man and he's choosing to live dedicated to the Lord. He's choosing already to want to know what it means to follow the Lord and to use his life and his youthful energy in such a way where he's already developed a real heart for the Lord. And he's actively worshiping the Lord himself. He's referred to as a disciple. In fact, the people there are actually bragging to Paul. We'll see in verse two about what a wonderful, godly young man this is. And I look at this picture, and I think, what a beautiful, beautiful thing here. May the Spirit of God move in such a way in the church today to give us more Timothys and more Timotheuses, if that's the girl version of that. More young people, teenagers, young adults who don't say, well, yeah, I mean, I know about the Lord, but I mean, I'm young. I just, this is a time I, I got I to gotta live it up, man. And it's not, I don't want to be not cool, so I want to be like my worldly friends and be, I don't want to be a Christian, but I'm going to be a carnal Christian. And then later, when old people get boring, then I'll get serious about Jesus. And not somebody who in their youthful years, you know, kind of just cooperates with the parental process of, well, this is what I have to do in the Christian life. But honestly, my heart is as cold as callous and can be. And so I'll go there and sit like this through church or play with my phone when the pastor talks. Or, rather than being like that, this is a young man who loves the Lord. 
And he already wants to worship the Lord and live for the Lord. And at a young age, he's chosen with his youthful energy to want to live passionately for the Lord and actually serve the Lord and let his life be useful to the Lord. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're, let's say, under 25 years old, let me exhort you, don't waste your youthful energy, your youthful years not following Jesus and thinking, oh, I'll wait till I get older to serve Jesus. Serve Jesus now. You don't need battle scars. There's nothing glamorous about them, trust me. There's nothing worthwhile about wasting your youthful years and waiting to get serious about the Lord later. Live for Jesus now. Have the courage to live for Jesus and be devoted to Jesus. And I promise you this. Look, I got saved a month after I graduated high school uh, and, and just had kind of a, a, a Saul of Tarsus, radical conversion, which means I started faithfully serving Jesus. You know, I got saved it right before I turned 18 years old. And listen, let me tell you, I have no regrets. I have no regrets about 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 living full on for Jesus. No regrets at all. I know plenty of people who waited to serve till Jesus later and they got a lot of regrets. Live for Jesus now. Be a Timothy. Let your life be distinctive and different and faithful to the Lord. Now, one of the things we know from Scripture that was a main contributing factor to Timothy being this wonderful, godly young man he was, was the spiritual cultivation that happened in his life from his godly mother and grandmother. The Bible tells us that very clearly. It seems Timothy's parents, we can tell from our text here, kind of had a mixed marriage spiritually. They were unequally yoked in some ways, you might say. You see what it says in verse 1 there? It says his mother was a Jewish woman who believed, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that, but his father was a Greek. In other words, the Bible is very clear about Timothy's mother that she had a foundation in the Old Testament scripture. She understood who Yahweh God was, synagogue worship as a Jewish woman, and that his mother believed. The idea is that she was a believer. Likely when Paul came through this area years ago and preached the gospel, Timothy's mother was one of those who heard the gospel and connected the dots that, wow, this Jesus is, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And so she became a believer at that point. But the Bible makes it very clear that his father was Greek, which means that his background and upbringing was that of, of the way of the Greeks, pagan idolatry and Greek philosophy. And the Holy Spirit clearly, distinctively tells us his mother was one who believed, but it seems almost purposely in contrast is indicating to us that potentially very clearly probably his father was not that he was a Greek and kind of continued to embrace the ways of the B, uh, Greek uh, pagan philosophies and was not a believer in Jesus. However, thankfully, Timothy's godly mother and grandmother invested in this young man nonetheless. Paul writing to Timothy later in 2 Timothy 1 says there, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm persuaded is in you also. So as believers, Timothy's godly mother and godly grandmother, they invested the things of God into this young man as he was being raised, though he didn't have a spiritual father, his mother and grandmother cultivated in the heart of this young man a love for the Lord and godly character 
and ministering to him and investing in him. And so doing, they raised not only a godly young man who loved Jesus and lived for Jesus faithfully, but they ultimately also prepared a young man to be in a very effective, useful servant for Christ in the kingdom. One who would have a fantastic ministry in his future. And let me say in light of that, by way of application, let us always realize the value of family ministry. The value of family ministry. A godly mother, a godly grandmother, godly parents doesn't just have to be a mother or grandmother, but godly parents and grandparents who are intentional about doing what it takes to be proactive to raise a child who loves and serves the Lord and see the most valuable ministry that is possible is to raise up a human being that you have so much access to in such a way that your primary concern is I want to raise them to make sure that they genuinely know the Lord Look, my conviction growing, you know, with my kids growing up was not that they would be exposed to Christ. It's that they would experience Christ. A lot of kids grow up and they're exposed to Christ. I want my kids to experience Christ, and there's a big difference. And we want to be intentional as parents, as grandparents, maybe an aunt, maybe an uncle, to say, you know what, I want to do my part to invest in the ministry of this child that I've been given opportunity and connection to to raise them in a way that they would know what it means to follow Jesus. I understand they have a free will, but that you would be diligent and intentional to do everything you can by prayer and investment to raise them to experience Jesus, to know what it means to live for him, to serve him by way of your example and your investment in them. And Timothy was cultivated in this wonderful way and very spiritually prepared. And not only his spiritual... Preparation was important, but we notice as well from verse 2 that there was also an aspect of, you might say, spiritual validation as well because it says, verse 2, that when Paul came, Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren there at Lystra and Iconium. Now, when I say spiritual validation, of course, the word validation speaks of testifying that something's real. And what I mean by that is this that there was spiritual validation that took place in this divine appointment in that we see God here presenting Timothy before Paul. We don't see Timothy promoting himself to Paul. Do you understand the difference? We see God presenting Timothy as a godly young man to Paul. We don't see Timothy promoting himself to Paul as this godly young man that he should be taken along with him in ministry. And there is a vast difference there. The believers there knew Timothy and it says they just began to speak well of him. So Timothy had had established this wonderful testimony before other believers in his way of life, his walk with the Lord, his love for the Lord, his servant-hearted nature in such a way that when Paul came through town, the people just naturally were talking about this godly young man, Timothy, saying, Paul, he is quite a young man. For, for his age, he has such a love for the Lord. I mean, though he's a young man, he just, he faithfully walks with Jesus. I mean, this young man is, is just so in tune with the things of the Spirit, and he's just such a servant-hearted young man. He wants to help out. He's already ministering in the church, and, and Paul, it seems he's got a, maybe even an anointing to, to preach and to teach the Word of God, and they're just testifying and speaking well of Timothy to Paul, 
And look, in the ways of God's kingdom, folks, we are not supposed to be those who are displaying our own resumes. In the ways of God's kingdom, we should never be subtly presenting our resume by telling others about our own spirituality or what we're doing in ministry or what we've done in ministry because we're kind of just indirectly like looking for a way to get an opportunity, kind of like putting out our resume for a job offer. And sometimes I've met believers who do that. You kind of, you meet them, they tell you their name, and the next thing they do is they lay out their spiritual resume. And you have to wonder, what, 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 what do you need to do that for? Just live your life. I'll see if you got a spiritual resume. You need to tell me your spiritual resume. Just let's see your spiritual resume. And the Bible encourages us instead to just allow the outward fruit of our life to speak for itself. Just live for Jesus. Humbly love the Lord. Humbly serve. Minister in every way you can. And let your spiritual reputation just speak for itself. Let, let others testify of who you are by what they see, just in a healthy, God-honoring way. Proverbs 27 says this. Listen, great verses. It says, Proverbs 27, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. That same chapter goes on to say, A man is valued by what others say about him by what others would testify. And this is what was happening with Timothy. Again, and I find this impressive because it's very difficult when we're more youthful, I think all the more not to kind of brag and boast and want to, you know, and Timothy's a young man who could be full of pride as a very godly young man. And he's very humble. And the people are the ones that are just telling Paul about this wonderful young man. And now this important meeting happens, which again shows us that one of the ways the Holy Spirit leads is by orchestrating, like Paul and Timothy here, divine appointments in relationships. You see what happens? As Paul is just doing what God tells him to do, God orchestrates a divine appointment and he connects relationally with Timothy as he's just on the pathway doing what God wants him to do. Because when we follow the Lord's direction, he will strategically put people into our path that we're supposed to connect with relationally. Paul needed Timothy and Timothy needed Paul. And God brings the two of them together here we see. And what are they both doing? They're just on the road, on the path they're supposed to be on. And in the midst of that, God connects them. And look, the same in our lives. The best thing that you can do is just get on the path God wants you to be on and you will connect with and God will cause you to meet the people that you're supposed to connect with on the way. You don't have to take detours, exit ramps. Do you need a spouse? Stop taking exit ramps. Just get on the path that you're supposed to be on. Stay on the road that you're supposed to be on. And God will put on the road the person that you're supposed to connect with relationally. The divine meeting, the divine appointment will happen. Just get on the road God should want to be on. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul's just en route doing what God wants him to do. And this very important relationship connection happens as these two meet each other. Well, verse 3 says, Paul wanted, which is beautiful to see, to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because he was of the Jews who were in that region, it says, for they all knew, they were aware that Timothy's father was a Greek. So we see Paul desires to bring Timothy along as an assistant, as someone he can invest in. And Paul saw the value of letting Timothy as a younger man come and learn to be exposed to the ministry, to have an opportunity to provide some help. And Paul initiates the process of asking Timothy to join him. 
to get involved. It says Paul wanted Timothy to come on. He invites him for some opportunity to kind of mentor, if you would. And again, a beautiful example. Here you have this mature, more seasoned believer taking initiative here to invest in the life and the future of a younger believer, one who is less mature in the things of the Lord and even the things of the service of God because Paul wants to help him reach his fullest potential spiritually. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit is leading our lives, once we get established spiritually, this may be what the Spirit of God may want us to do. The Spirit of God at times may want you, may want I to invest in the life of a Timothy. To be intentional, even if it's in, listen, even if it's in, in an informal way, it doesn't have to be this formal thing, but to be intentional, even in a very informal way, to try to mentor someone else spiritually, to invest in them and help cultivate their life in the things of the Lord. Well, as Timothy embraces the opportunity to serve with Paul in his church planning and missions and ministry work, notice there's a really hard lesson, verse 3 says, that Timothy has to learn initially. It said there in verse 3 that Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews in that region that knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. Now understand, Paul circumcising Timothy here has nothing to do with salvation. We should know that from the last chapter, the whole council at Jerusalem. That's nothing to do with the fact that this was necessary for his spiritual condition. This is about Timothy being useful and effective in service. Again, what would Paul often do when he'd go to an area? He'd first go to the Jews. He'd first go to the synagogues and try and preach the gospel there. And Paul knew there were a lot of Jews in that region, that Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Greek father with pagan ideals. And because of that, as we can tell, apparently, due to that kind of mixed marriage, his Greek father did not allow him to observe the typical way of Judaism, which we need to circumcise the male child as a way that was something the Jews did to indicate that they were dedicated to Yahweh God, that they did not live after the flesh. It was a cutting away of the flesh. And that is, we don't live after the flesh. We live after the things that are higher, a higher law, the law of the spirit. Well, Timothy, due to his father being a Greek, had not been circumcised. And Paul knew this could potentially be sort of a sticking point of dishonor with the Jews that could cause a stumbling block or make them want to shut off Timothy and not listen to him because maybe they would think, look, you're just like your father. You have pagan ideals and, and you really have no interest in God and, and that this could potentially be a stumbling block. So the purpose of Paul circumcising Timothy was to connect with the Jews, to be able to be received and have opportunity to be able to effectively minister to them to help connect. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, and I think it applies. He says, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as those under the law that I might win those under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. In other words, Paul was saying, I look for ways to connect culturally 
in a way whereby I might be received to the subculture or group or person that I want to minister to. So Paul says to be respectful to them, to build relationship and not have a stumbling block. He says, I try and do things to keep myself in a way where I'm the most receptive to other people. And so this is why Paul here circumcises Timothy, it says, because there were many Jews in that region and they knew his father was a Greek. But again, we have to live out the reality of what this must have been like. Paul invites Timothy to you know, join with him in ministry and that probably sounded really exciting. And then all of a sudden the reality check came that ministry sometimes is difficult. I mean, can you imagine just the reality of Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to join us. But I was thinking through some things and there's something that we're going to need to do to make sure that you're the most effective. Oh, sure, Paul. Absolutely. I mean, do you want me to, I mean, you want to give me a seminar on preaching or uh, you want to tell me some principles of prayer or maybe a class on servanthood? And Paul says, well, actually, we're going to need to circumcise you for the sake of the Jews so that you can have maximum impact among them. And Timothy, again, be thinking, uh, Paul, I, I, you realize I'm an adult at this point? Like, that sounds extremely painful. That sounds very difficult and quite humbling. And Paul having to say to him, yeah, Timothy, it is going to be painful. And it is going to be humbling. But Timothy, listen, we sacrifice however we have to, to reach people. And Timothy, sometimes we have to humble ourselves and suffer ourselves and bear a cost in order to be able to connect with people and be effective with people. And Timothy, that's ministry 101. God will take care of how you preach and all that. Timothy, but you got to be willing to, are you willing to be a servant? Are, are you willing to experience something that's difficult to be able to connect with people. And again, there may be times, as we see with Timothy here, where when the Lord wants to use us, uh, it may mean that we have to go through something hard. And going through that hard thing may be what helps us to connect with someone that really needs to be ministered to. It may be that difficulty or that sacrifice that makes us ultimately most effective in some way. So verse four tells us, as they went out, they went through the cities delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem what we saw in Acts chapter 15 they go through the territory they're reinforcing the confidence of the message of the gospel of grace explaining the decision made at the church council in Jerusalem by the apostles and the elders that salvation was by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ and all that was asked through these decrees was that the Gentile believers be sensitive to their Jewish brothers and sisters by observing a few things to maintain unity. Verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. So notice the faithful ministry of further teaching did two things. It deepened the faith of the believers and it led to the expansion of the church. As they went out, the ministry of the Spirit through Paul and his ministry team calls the churches, it says, to be strengthened in the faith, not in faith, to be strengthened, it says, in the faith, definite article. That is, it calls them to be more grounded and rooted in their understanding of Christian doctrine, to be more stable spiritually. They were strengthened in the things of the faith. And also it says their ministry of the Spirit led as well to the churches, it says, being increased 
in number daily. That is, more people were saved. More people were added to the church. So here again, in the book of Acts, we see the the desire, the heart of the Holy Spirit is to both strengthen the church as well as grow the church. To see people come to Christ and the church to expand as the kingdom grows. That's what the Spirit was doing as they were ministering. Verse 6 then says to us, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they then tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So here, take note, is another way that we at times are genuinely led of the Holy Spirit. And that is this, is that through the prevention of us from doing certain things we may want to do. Sometimes the way the Holy Spirit leads is by actually hindering or preventing us to do something we may want or attempt to do. It says in our verses here, as Paul and his team travel through the Galatian region, it says there in verse 6, that as they're going through, they have an idea or desire, let's go preach the word of the Lord in the area of Asia. Now, that would be north of where they're at right now, but yet, what does verse 6 say? But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That is, the Holy Spirit stopped them. The Holy Spirit hindered them. So then it tells us, verse 7, they attempt to head south toward the area of Bithynia. So they get hindered from going north. So now they may, okay, well, let's try south. And so they try and go to Bithynia in the south. But again, verse 7, what does it say? But the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit didn't allow them to do this. Now, this is interesting because not only do we have the Holy Spirit forbidding and hindering the activity of a servant of God, but think about what the Holy Spirit's hindering them from doing, preaching the gospel. That's a little bit perplexing. Didn't Jesus say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? And yet now we see the Holy Spirit gives us this little record of the Spirit of God actually hindering and preventing servants of God from going to a location, preaching the gospel, planning another church, and doing ministry there. This account shows us that the Lord still has timetables in which he wants things to be done at certain points, in certain time frames, and in certain seasons. And the Lord does things the way that he wants through the people that he chooses and during the times and seasons that he specifically has ordained for those things to happen. Here's what's interesting. Ultimately, the gospel does reach these areas that are being described here. Ultimately, churches do get planted, actually by the Apostle Paul himself later on in these areas, yet this was not where Paul would be the most useful at this juncture in time. The Lord had something else on his divine agenda. He had another assignment that he wanted Paul the Apostle to fulfill at this given time. So he prevents him. And look, for us this morning, Jesus has not changed. The Holy Spirit has not changed in his ministry. Sometimes, listen, the Lord will shut doors and prevent you and I and hinder us because it's not his time. Or he may shut a door or prevent something because he has something different in mind. 
something better in mind. And it's important as a part of the leading of the Holy Spirit that we understand that the Spirit not only leads by sending, sometimes the the Spirit leads by stopping, by restraining. You know, what Christian, if they maybe weren't honest, if they were a younger believer at one point, you know, couldn't say that at one point perhaps the Holy Spirit prevented maybe a relationship from going forward. And then you see that person five, ten years later, and you go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? At that time, why are you preventing me, Lord? I know this. Lord, why would you prevent me? And he goes, trust me. There's a reason I'm preventing you. Again, and whether it's serving the Lord, doing ministry, sometimes the Holy Spirit stops us. He restrains us, and that's part of his leading. How did the Holy Spirit prevent them? Well, we're not told specifically. It could have been, again, we can only speculate, maybe it was circumstances. Maybe just some circumstances happened, whereas they were trying to go to those particular areas. Circumstantially, some things transpired that just shut the door and just hindered them. It was like they were trying to walk forward and the wind was just blowing in opposition and resistance to everything they were trying to do to go in that direction. And they realized, look, this is the Spirit of God trying to stop us. Maybe potentially it was, you know, a prophetic word that came forth that as they thought this was the Lord, some prophetic word came forth in a meeting and and just told them and revealed to them this isn't God's will. It could have been that the Holy Spirit just disrupted their peace and made them unsettled. Maybe they prayed about it and, and thought this is what they were doing as they started walking forward. The Spirit of God just unsettled the peace in their heart and they felt unrest about it and they thought, you know, I don't know, I'm having a reservation and, and I think maybe the Spirit's trying to hinder us. The Holy Spirit works in all those ways at times and others as well, I'm sure, to hinder us, but it's important that we learn to be humble and sensitive and discern this and that we respond to it and we don't push forward and plow ahead if it's the Spirit who's put up the roadblock in some way. Perhaps you can look back in your life in the past and remember a time when the Spirit of the Lord did this. Maybe, honestly, you're here this morning and it's happening right now presently and you're trying to push and persist and the Holy Spirit is trying to keep the roadblock up. You may want to hit the pause button and pray a little bit. And just be sensitive. Sometimes the Spirit will lead by hindering and restraining as well. And how encouraging, as I look at Paul the Apostle and his ministry here, here's this godly giant, this spiritual man, Paul the Apostle, used powerfully of the Lord. And and look at this. He's struggling to navigate the will of God. Doesn't that make you feel good? I mean, for Paul, it wasn't always easy. Sometimes it's a process of trial and error. He'd try this well, I get that. maybe that's not the Lord. And then he tries something else. And ultimately, he, there was this process of trial and error. That's very liberating because it just goes to show sometimes this is a part of wrestling out, even with Paul and you and I as well, the will of God trying to navigate the next step. So verse 8 tells us that having been hindered from the south and prevented from the north and they had just came from the east, go west, young man, Right? So that's why verse 8 says what it does. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. That is, Paul now travels the furthest west he can possibly go, all the way to the shore, which is where Troas is, and he keeps moving forward till he hits the coast and says, well, I'm just going to keep going the direction, the only direction that's left. And then when he gets there, 
he pauses and sits and waits for more instruction. I imagine when they get the furthest west, they hit the shoreline and they said, so Paul, what are we, what's next? What are we doing now? I, I don't know, but we're going to just sit. We went as far as we can go. And now we're just going to sit here and wait until God gives us revelation. We're just going to pray and wait on the Lord to show us what the next step is. And verse nine says, as they were there, a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after they had seen the vision immediately, we notice Luke seems to be now with Paul because the language changes to plural. We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as Paul's waiting for more revelation for the next step, for further clarity, he's gone as far as he could. And then he just stopped and paused and is waiting on the Lord. He gets his next ministry assignment. Verse 9 and 10 tell us here that he receives a vision from God. He recognizes a man who's from the Macedonia area. And this man in his vision says to him, notice, come over here, verse 9, to Macedonia and help us. In other words, we need help. Come over here and help us. And Paul receiving this vision and the spiritual experience considers maybe this is the Lord's leading. So he goes to his team. He says, look, I had this experience. I had this vision. I think it was from the Lord. This man was saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. Luke and the others who are with Paul, they probably discuss it. They're praying it through. And ultimately it tells us there, verse 10, that they concluded that the Lord had called them to go and preach the gospel to them. That word concluded, there's an interesting term in the Greek. It literally means to put pieces together. So as they took into consideration the practical experiences, the spiritual revelation and prayer, they put the pieces together and they concluded, you know what? This seems to be the leading of the Lord. This seems to be that God is calling us to go there next for ministry. They discerned, okay, this makes sense. The reason why we were hindered here, the reason why we were prevented from doing that is because the Holy Spirit wanted us to be free and available to ultimately do this. And they kind of put the pieces together here and discern what God's leading them to do next. And let me say, here is another way that the Spirit at times guides us in our lives, and that's this, that sometimes the Holy Spirit guides us to people or to places where our help is most needed at that given time. They wanted to go help in Bithynia, they wanted to go help in Asia, but the Spirit of God knew where they would be most helpful and useful at this given juncture was in Macedonia. And so the Spirit causes Paul to have this vision of this man in Macedonia says, hey, we need help over here. Could you come help us? And sometimes in our life, we need to realize God knows way better than we do where our specific help might be most beneficial at this given juncture, at this given moment or season. And so sometimes the way the Spirit will often direct our lives is that we might be the answer to help a person or to help maybe in a particular place where our help is most needed at that given moment. 
You know, these are the very verses God used in our lives. The first time we went and planted uh, the Calvary Chapel in York, Pennsylvania there. We tried to do this. We tried to do that. Seemed doors were shutting. And then ultimately, we ended up getting an invitation. Hey, could you come over here and help us? We have a few people that are traveling an hour all the way down to our church on a Sunday morning, two, three people. We'd love to see a church get planted. We don't feel like we have a guy that's ready in our fellowship to plant a church. And my pastor said, well, we have a guy we're looking to kick out. We just don't know where to kick him out to. Maybe he's your helper. And so I was told about it. And as I was praying and working through things, and ultimately I came to this passage and it leaped off the page to me. That didn't work, that didn't work, and now somebody's saying to me, can you come help us? We need help. We need help in this given situation. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will direct us in that way. So once they find out what the Spirit's directing, verse 11 says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, came the next day to Neapolis, and from there then to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, and there we stayed it says, for some days. So it describes now the western journey across the Aegean Sea over to the region of Macedonia, pursuing this vision and calling from the Lord. So they start heading in the general direction towards Macedonia. They know they're supposed to go and trusting that God's going to refine the compass along the way. So they get on board. They start heading out. It's interesting that it says there that the wind was blowing in such a way that they made a straight uh, course there over to Samothrace. The idea is on, on a sailboat, they didn't have to tack back and forth. The wind was at their back and they could make a straight run over to where they were supposed to go. That's the picture there. The wind was at their back where before the wind was blowing against them. Now the wind is at their back, driving them forward in a very easy way to make a straight run right to where they want to go. And you know, it's always good when you're trying to follow the Lord and you sense the wind at your back. And it's, all right, now the wind's not in my face anymore. I can tell the wind's at my back now. And so they, they shoot across. They land at Samothrace. They travel inland a bit, and they come to the foremost city in that region of Macedonia, which is Philippi, a well-populated Roman colony. Paul says, we stayed there a few days, getting acquainted, probably praying for direction. And this now will be where the next church of Paul the Apostle gets planted, here in the city of Philippi. We have the New Testament letter called Philippians. That's the result of this church that Paul and his team will now plant there in Philippi. Acts chapter 16 records the events of how the church of Philippi was planted. And here's what's unique, folks. This is the first church plant in Europe. The first time the gospel reaches the region of Europe. Verse 13 says, and then on the Sabbath day, we went out to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So apparently, there's no established synagogue found in the city, Paul recognizes, but he heard, hey, there's some women that meet for prayer outside the city there at the river every Sabbath day. Now, that tells us that there was very few Jewish people in this region, mainly Gentiles, because it was Jewish custom that required, if there were 10 Jewish males in a community, it was required that those 10 Jewish males establish a synagogue. So there's no established synagogue, which tells us there's a very minimal amount of Jewish people. It's a Roman colony, predominantly Gentile in this area. 
But a few Jewish women meet every Sabbath day for prayer and worship to Yahweh God down at the riverside. Paul hears about this. So Paul says, hey, let me go out there to that meeting. And he shows up in the meeting there down at the river where they're having a prayer meeting. And Paul, it says there, spoke to the women who were meeting there for prayer. That is, he spoke to them. He just talked with them in a very casual way. He didn't show up and say, I got a sermon. He just started talking to them, probably telling them about Jesus. Hey, you're Jewish. I'm Jewish. We've been talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And he began to explain who Jesus was and what Jesus did as the Savior and what he offers freely in salvation to those who believe upon him. And he's presenting the gospel in a very informal way, just conversational to these women. And look what results as this conversational evangelism happens. It says, verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira and worshiped God. And the Lord, verse 14, opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, an indication of their following of Christ, she begged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So likely as Paul's talking, like whenever we talk to somebody about the Lord, it's likely that some of or most of the women were kind of tuning Paul out. They didn't want to hear the gospel. But one woman, by the Spirit of God working in her life, she gets tuned in. And Paul can tell this woman, Lydia, she's listening. It's interesting. Notice that verse 14, it says that Lydia heard us. Well, obviously they all heard. They were all listening. But Paul says, but Lydia heard what we were saying. She heard what we were saying about Jesus. Her heart became receptive. Paul's sharing the gospel with this woman who's apparently a businesswoman from the area of Thyatira, seller of purple. Again, that was a, an expensive dye in that region. And she's there, no doubt, maybe doing business in that community. And Paul says, as we spoke, she heard and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That is a work of the Spirit of God is happening inside of the heart of Lydia as she's hearing the truth of the gospel about Jesus. And it says the Lord opened her heart to be responsive. There was a sovereign, supernatural move of the Spirit of God where her heart is sensitive and she believes and responds, as does her whole family. They're baptized and she and her family become followers of Jesus and the first fruits of a church plant in Philippi. Now, this is a very good reminder again in verse 14 here, how it takes a work of the spirit of the Lord to open someone's heart to salvation in Jesus. Look, we can and we should share the truth in faith. We should speak about the Lord. We should encourage people to respond, but we can't open people's hearts spiritually. Only the Lord can open someone's heart to see it for clear to believe it for themselves and to respond, that's why we got to pray. We have to pray the Lord would open people's hearts when they're hearing the truth to be responsive to salvation. And once her heart was opened by the Spirit to accept Jesus, then the Spirit directs her to open her home up for ministry because then after she's saved, she says, Paul, you got to come stay at my house. She wants to show hospitality. And more than that, guess what her church became? The base of operations for the little Bible study that became the Church of Philippi. You know, I look at this section here and I think to myself, here, one woman's conversion 
one woman's conversion and the obedience of Paul to follow the spirit of the Lord leads to the willingness to her to open her home. The first church is planted in Europe. The gospel spreads through Europe. And guess where the gospel ultimately comes from Europe? To the United States of America. And that's why you're saved this morning if you are. You know, the Bible tells us, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Oh, the value and importance of letting our lives be led of the Spirit. Happens many different ways. Because often when we are led of the Spirit, it's amazing. We think, oh Lord, you're directing me to do this. And many times God is doing 17 other things through the process as we yield to the Spirit's leading. Amen?